Continuing discussion of Sri Vishnu Sahasranam, name 836, Atinta, the inconceivable. What I will say now is a redaction of a redaction of a redaction. It's Ramanujan, one of the commentators, not the original Sri Ramanuja refers to a pasaram from Namalva that explains this name, and then that is further explained by uh, another commentator, and then unpacked by another commentator, and now I'm going to unpack it also. How Lord Vishnu is a chintya? He is our body, and he is also the soul of our body. He is the soul of the Panchamahabhutas, earth, water, fire, air, ether. He is very easily accessible to the devotees and inaccessible to those who do not surrender to him. This about the soul of the body and the soul of the Panchamahabhuta is very much part of Sri Vaishnava philosophy, Sharia Shariari Bhav, that everything existence is likened to the body of the Lord and he's the soul of it, something like we in conditioned existence are souls, but we have a body. This idea, of course, is not at all appreciated by Madhvachar, but that's another subject altogether. Here, it's not so much a philosophical statement as a, an exaltation at the inconceivability of the inconceivable personality of Godhead. Uh, continuing this unpacking, he is beyond the reach of the mental capabilities of even the greatest of learned persons of even learned persons in the Vedic understanding. I elaborated on that to some extent in the previous talk on this. So, despite all this, this uh, Namalava says, despite all this, but despite being so great, he resides in my heart. He, here he doesn't say, in everyone's heart, which is of course true, but he says in my heart, which is of course also true, but he's specifically making the point, he's in my heart, he's blessing me, he's within my heart. He, Namalva says that his feeling for me is such that, I, I'm so insignificant, but his feeling for me is that it's such that he feels that he longs to have my association, even though I'm just nothing, and he's so great. By revealing his qualities, by his pastimes, by descriptions in Vishnu Sahasranam, and Bhagavatam, and Vishnu Purana, and elsewhere, he attracts us to him. Krishna attracts us to him. Just by thinking about him, it's, it's so enlivening, so, so joyful to think of Krishna. And now 
he's so great and he's just accepting my little service. He sits on the shoulders of Garuda and he's accepting my little service also. This is wonderfulness personified. So, so many contradictions seemingly, but they're all resolved. So many contradictions in this Supreme Lord, and we'll continue to discuss this more and more. When we discuss about him, we have to discuss about contradictions, seeming contradictions. He's greater than the greatest, smaller than the smallest, so kind to the devotees, so harsh, seemingly, to the non-devotees. But although in many ways he seems contradictory, there's one way that he's steady and stable, and therefore we have here in Vishnu Sastra the name Dhruva, which means steady and stable. One thing he'll never contradict himself on is that he always acts for the benefit of his devotees. For everyone, but particularly for his devotees. He comes to this world to benefit the world. And within that, there may seem to be contradictions. He is doing paritranaya sadhunam, uplifting the sadhus, and vinashaya, vinashaya chadushkritam, destroying the rascals and miscreants. But it's all for the purpose of benefiting the world. He, he might seem to be the most egoistic person in demanding Savadhaman Paritaja Mame Kamsharnam Give up everything, even everything which I have described to you. Give up all these worldly dharmas and just surrender only unto me. But actually, he's the most selfless because he is Suhridam Sarvabhutanam. He is the best heart-to-heart friend of every living being. And he's always acting for the benefit of everyone. <clears throat> Why should he do that? It's simply a tinta. More than any other quality of the Supreme Lord, his power, his majesty, his creating and destroying innumerable universes, even more than his beauty, is his love and compassion, causeless love and compassion upon all living beings. And that's the essence of personalism. The impersonalists, they want to make everything quality-less, seeing in this world so many bad qualities. But their denial of the personality of Godhead is denial of pure, unadulterated love. Why does anything exist? Why does God exist? To us it may seem inconceivable. Why, why does anything exist anyway? The answer is Krishna. His love, it's inconceivable. 
we're not going to be able to digest it into some logical or mathematical formula. It's simply inconceivable. But let us take advantage of it, that he, he wants to, that is the very symptom of his love, that he wants to give that to us and share that with us. All we have to do is turn toward him. That's all. And he's very willing to reciprocate. Of course, there are some terms and conditions because love means we also have to be selfless. He's selfless in relation to us. We have to be selfless in relation to him. So we, we can't retain our non-love position and still love him. Anyway, I digress somewhat. But what is most achintya inconceivable about him, as far as I, with my tiny intelligence, can understand? I pray that my intelligence is guided by his internal potency. This, uh, as Lord Krishna states in Bhagavad Gita, the great souls are under the protection or in the shelter of the internal energy. So I'm not a great soul, but I am in the shelter of many great souls. So it's most, most inconceivable. Why should he love us? There's no reason. He would say it doesn't even make any sense. If there's no reason, it doesn't make sense but it makes sense on the platform of love, which is not, again, it's not reducible to logic. Shankaracharya says, Pramadit... Shankaracharya says, Pramadradi Sakshitvena sava pramana agocharatvat achintyaha. And unpacking this, the commentators have described it that the eye, the eye, cannot see itself. It is the means of seeing everything except itself. Of course, you can take a mirror. So, we find that many of the commentaries on Shastra, they have the name Dharapan. He knows. Dharapan, it means a mirror to see something which should be obvious, but we can't see. We can also see with a mirror uh, things that are behind us, out of the vision of our eye. So the eye cannot see itself. Similarly, Bhagavan is the means of perceiving everything else. We see because he sees. And it doesn't mean that he can't see himself, but it means that he, just like the eye, we cannot see our own eye directly with our eye. So in the same way, we cannot see him directly. There is a means to see him directly uh, through the eye of Shastra, Shastra Chakshuhu. And gradually, we can directly see him. 
Shankaracharya gives another interpretation. I am means this. When the word I am is used this, in, uh, often when terms like this are used, we understand it to mean the universe. I am means this. Om Puranam Adaha Puranam Idam. Here, Idam again means this refers to all that is in creation. Janmadhyasya yataha. Asya again refers to this. So when in philosophical statements in Sanskrit, the word comes up this, either as I am or these. Idam, asya, it's understood to refer to all that is in existence. The universe. I am idrisha iti vishva prapancha vilakshanadvaina chintiyatam ashaktyatvad va achintya. He's different from this universe. All that we can perceive within this universe. And there's a lot within the universe that we can't perceive, but all that we can perceive is a lot. All that there is to perceive is more than any human can properly perceive and understand, just like we'll find someone is an expert in one branch of science, someone is an expert in another branch of science, Someone is an expert in musicology. Someone is an expert in playing a particular instrument. Someone is an expert in making nice food. Someone is an expert in hunting animals. Someone else isn't an expert in anything. (laughs) There are different fields of specialization. And no one can know everything in every field, you can be an expert in one field, or maybe two fields. But as the saying goes, the secret of life is one thing. And then we ask the question, what is that one thing? Now the point is to stick to one thing. And then you can focus on that and become expert in that. So it requires focus over many years to become well acquainted with simply one area of experience within all the practically unlimited fields of experience that we can delve into. But even if we could perceive everything in the universe as great demigods like Brahma do, especially Brahma does, even if we could, it's still it's only a fraction of all that he is. As Lord Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, Nanto sti navadivyanam vibhutinam parantapa esha tudeshata proto vibhutir Vistaro Maya Yad Yad Vibhuti Mat Sadvam Srimad Urjita Mevava Tat Tat Eva Vagachatvam Mama Tejong Sasambhavam 
Krishna, after describing or listing some of the aspects of this universe which can be considered representations of him, Praladas Chasmi Daityanam, I am Prahlad among the demons, Aksharanam Akarosmi, among letters and the letter A or A. Mriganam cha mrigendroham, among the animals, I am the king of the animals, the lion. So after listing many of these, Krishna says, Nantosti mamadivyanam. There's no end to, there's no limit to my divine manifestations. I've just mentioned a few here, Krishna says. And to sum the matter up, Krishna says, whatever you see, that appears to be very powerful or opulent, you should know it springs from just a tiny spark of my splendor. So again, that means achintya. We're trying to get some idea of how great the Supreme Lord is. But it will always remain far beyond our capacity to understand. Just uh, one example is given, you cannot accommodate an elephant on a little dish. You cannot accommodate the ocean in a cup. We cannot accommodate the glories of the Supreme Lord in our tiny imagination. A similar example is given by quoting from Sri Ramanujacharya's Gita Basham, commentary on the Bhagavad Gita. Uh, that everything in the universe, sentient and non-sentient beings, moving and non-moving, whether manifested or not yet manifested, whether gross or subtle, everything is supported by Bhagavan with just an infinitesimal fraction of his power. And it doesn't affect him at all. Everything is perfectly ordered. Everything has its proper form. Everything has its proper propensities and capacities. In this regard, Sri Ramanujacharya quotes from Vishnu Purana, Yes, ya yutayut ang shang se vishva shaktiri ramstita on just an infinitesimal fraction of his energy, the universe rests. Even uh, we learn from scientists that the energy that the sun gives out, even in a second, is more than could be used by all our present-day human population with its power stations and this and that, more than can be used in billions of years, the, the, the total energy the sun gives out. And that's just one sun, just one sun. 
Maybe that's why uh, one reason why the atheists they just don't believe in God because it just seems too fantastic to them. Yeah, it's a it's what you call a leap of faith, but it's not a bad faith. It's, it it just means admitting that with our science we're not going to be able to explain and understand all this. We just have to accept. There is the Supreme Godhead. That's all. Ah, so nice to know that the universe is, after all, friendly. It's not cold. It's not just, there's a big bang and we're all here. And then I was born a few years ago and soon I'll die and energy. Thou art energy, and unto energy thou shalt return. It's not like that. There is God. Ultimately, we're in safe hands. So, his power is beyond our comprehension. He's achinta. Same point is being made in various ways. He cannot be completely comprehended in our minds. To some extent, yes. Now I'm going to go on to the commentary of Baladev Vidyabhushan. He, in his commentary here, is replying to the common contention of the impersonalists who say the Supreme Soul consists of consciousness and bliss. Satyam Jnanam Ananta Brahma. There's various statements in the Shruti, in the Upanishads, which state that Brahma, the ultimate, is Satyam, truth, Jnanam, knowledge, Ananta, unlimited, without end. So, how can he have a body? He's unlimited. Is pure truth and bodies they are composed of that which is asat we find in the Bhagavad Gita Lord Krishna himself says na sato vidyate bhavo na bhavo vidyate sataha that which is non-eternal that which is asat which is not of the nature of ultimate truth it cannot exist forever. It must come to an end. And there's no destruction of that which is sat, which is transcendental. By its nature, it's eternal. I'm extrapolating here on what Baladev Vidyabhushan says. He, his commentary is terse. I'm extrapolating. So Bhishma gives the name Achintya which gives the understanding that he's beyond the range of understanding. He's understood only through the scriptures, not through logic. Tarka agochara shudyeka gamya. By argumentation, we cannot understand him. Only by, only by the shruti. As the sh uh, only by the scripture, as stated in the Shruti itself, Kata Upanishad. 
Nayusha Tarakena Matir Apaneya. This knowledge cannot be attained by logic alone. Brahma Sutra also says, Tarka Patishtanad Api. Logic is not conclusive. Nothing can be established. The whole Vishnu Sahasranam describes his qualities, yet we being infinite, his infinite qualities, but we being infinite, his qualities are infinite in as much as he has an unlimited number of transcendental qualities, and each of his qualities is infinite in its extent. And we being infinitesimal can only have infinitesimal insight into them. So a little logic here. A little logic to understand how by logic we cannot properly and fully understand him. He's inconceivable because he is Amurti, the previous name that just came up, uh, which appears to mean he has no form. And Nirguna is a name just coming up, which means no qualities. Yet he is Sundara, he's beautiful, and as Madhvacharya describes, there are many similar descriptions. Kalyana Akila Sadguna. All the great good qualities which are meant for the benefit of everyone, he is that. They reside in him. Now I'm going to read some verses which bring out this quality of achintyatva, inconceivability of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. There are many, many such verses. How He's on one side this, on the other side apparently contradictory. The first verse I'm going to read is from Srila Rupa Goswami's poetry com uh, compilation, compilation of various verses from various sources, you know, known as Padyavali. This is text number six therein. Ambhodi stalatang stalam jaladitam dhuli lava Shailatam, Shailam Ritakarnatam, Trinankulishatam, Vajram Trinakshinatam, Vahni Shitilatam, Himang Dahanatam, Ayati Asyechaya. Lila Durlalitad Bhuta Vyasanine Krishnaya Tasmai Namaha. I offer my respectful obeisances to that very wonderful, playful, mischievous Krishna who, while appearing like a naughty little boy, if he desires, can turn an ocean into dry land, dry land into an ocean, a blade of grass into a thunderbolt, we know that Lord Balaram killed Ramaharsha and Sutta by touching him with a blade of grass. He can make a thunderbolt into an insignificant blade of grass. 
He can make fire cool and snow like blazing fire. This is from an unknown author. Srila <clears throat> Prabhupada discusses this topic of the Supreme Lord being achintya, very difficult to understand, in his purport to Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 4, Chapter 4, Text 27 and 28. He cites the word durvigayam, which means very hard to understand. Srila Prabhupada states, although the subject matter is durvigayam, extremely difficult to understand, it becomes easy if one follows the prescribed method. Coming in touch with the Supreme Personality of Godhead is possible through pure devotional service, which begins with Shravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnoho. In this regard, Srila Vishnacharivarta Thakur quotes a verse from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 2, text 8. Canto 2, chapter 8, text 5. Pravishta karna randhrena svanam bhava sororuham. The process of hearing and chanting enters the core of the heart and in this way one becomes a pure devotee. By continuing this process, one comes to the stage of transcendental love. Ah, and then he appreciates the transcendental name, form, qualities and pastimes of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. In other words, a pure devotee by devotional service is able to see the Supreme Personality of Godhead despite many material impediments, which are all various energies of the Supreme Personality of Godhead easily making his way through these impediments, a devotee comes directly in contact with the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So yeah, accepting the inconceivability of the Supreme Lord is our entrance into not just understanding him, but into entering into a relationship with him, loving him, and coming directly in contact with him. Hare Krishna, I'll finish this talk here. He's inconceivable. So there's a lot to say. It's another contradiction that there's so much to say about him that ultimately it's all inconceivable. All glories to the inconceivable personality of Godhead. Vancha kalpa tarubhyascha kripa sindubhya evacha patita nam pavanebhyo vaishnavebhyo namonamaha dante nithaya chunakam padayonipatya kritva chaka kushatameta daham ravimi he sadava sakala eva vihaya durad goranga chandra charne kuruta nunaga parivadatu jano yata tata va nanumukaro navayang vicharayamaha Hari rasa madhi mata bhuvi vilu thama natama nirvishama. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare.
हरे रामा हरे रामा 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 हरे हरे